Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, December 9th, we are studying 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 8. Part of the matter of standing strong under persecution is continued dedication toward the holy life that Christ has given to his people. St. Paul, therefore, begins to reiterate instructions to the Thessalonians concerning matters of purity and chastity, instructions that he had given them during his short time among them. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us Pastor Michael Shurman. Pastor Shurman serves at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Sherman, Illinois. Pastor Sherman, welcome to Sharper Iron. Thank you. It's good to be here. Looking forward to it. So, Pastor Sherman, as we get started into this text, give us some some context as to where Paul has been and where he's going. It, it does seem, as we will get into today, that Paul turns a corner here at the beginning of chapter four. What's he been doing leading up to this point? Yeah, so he's been, um, in the just immediate text, he's been kind of... Uh, kind of recounting his uh, what he's been hearing about the the, the Christians there in, in Thessalonica um, uh, like in verse 6 of chapter 3 you know now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love so so Paul's been hearing this this good news about the fact that the the gospel and the, and the Holy Spirit through the Word of God is uh, richly at work uh, amongst those Christians there in Thessa and in Thessalonica, and so uh, th- that's kind of what's been building up to this. Um, th- so the, the corner turn here is is uh, Paul really kind of uh, branching off of that. You're, you're doing uh, well, I hear, dear dear brothers and sisters in Christ, and then the finally that we uh, that we get into here at the beginning of chapter four. So is it is it fair to say that with this part of the letter that Paul really is beginning now his instruction to the Thessalonians? Previously, it was recounting their relationship, what had transpired, what he'd heard about them. And now he gets to this matter of Christian instruction, what we often think about when we think of the epistles. That's where he's he's headed now. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and when we hear the text here in a moment, it's going to be very clear. Yes, this is definitely instruction. Um, there's, there's no way around it. Uh, uh, but yeah, right. Uh, in, in some, some of the letters, obviously that instruction is, is prefaced by, um, you know, Paul's expressions of, uh, uh, of concern or, Hey, Hey, this is an issue. Um, remember what Jesus said about this. Uh, in this case, uh, right, he's been, we're going to hear this instruction more as um, encouraging exhortation, right? He's not saying, you're doing this badly, stop it, this is what you should be doing, but instead, keep on living this way as we, as you've been previously taught by, by me, and uh, anyways, we'll, we'll hear that in a moment. Yeah, so let's go ahead and read the text then it's in, in its entirety. We're looking again at 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 8 this morning. Paul writes, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. That's the text we've got for today, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 through 8. Pastor Shurman, just as a an overview, kind of lay out the structure of Paul's thought here before we start digging into individual verses. 
certainly. So we have maybe kind of three sections of this this particular part of, of the letter, um, and then they're all connected. There's there more or less there's a, there's a kind of an introduction introduction. There's kind of a, a main idea, and then there's a, a kind of a restatement or a wrap up. Uh, and so we see in verses one through two an introduction, um, right? That's with the, the finally them brothers, and then um, uh, Paul uh, kind of generally uh, urges them to um, do be uh, living their lives uh, just as they've been taught, to keep on doing it, in fact, because they've been, they've been doing it. Then in, in 3 through, uh, through 6, this is where we kind of get the, 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 the specific instructions, uh, particularly having to do with, um, I think you usually use the word chastity in your introduction uh, to the show, and that's, that's a great, great word for this, right? Uh, uh, it's a sexual ethic, but uh, it's not just... Um, it's not just about about sex, but it's really about the the kind of the, the holy conduct that we ought to be be living. And, and he, Paul gets into a couple examples, and we'll dig in uh, more in more in depth in a moment as to what those uh, particular uh, holy callings that, that uh, Paul is instructing the Thessalonians in uh, in a moment. So that's in verses three through six. And then in seven through eight, uh, he kind of wraps it up, um, maybe maybe in a little bit more of a uh, uh, warning way than than previously. He's been encouraging them, but then he just to maybe provide that extra encouragement uh, re- reminds them of of God's uh, warning uh, and and the, honestly the wrath of God, right? That that awaits those or God's displeasure over the uh, those who who would not order their lives in this way according to God's will, but instead would would uh, wander from that uh, willingly, right? Wander away from God's call to them to be holy and instead live their lives in impurity or unrighteousness. So one through two, three through six, and then seven through eight are probably a pretty good way to look at this passage, and it helps kind of follow, it helps us follow Paul's uh, Argument or his rhetoric that he's he's using here to to encourage the Thessalonians. Hmm. I appreciate the way that you broke that down because it brought out for me something that I hadn't really noticed. It it does stand out to me in verses one and two, and we can talk about this in a moment. How Paul encourages them to keep doing what they're already doing, and that that really does stand out to me as something that is not always the way that he's addressing people in his epistles. There's a lot of times where he's addressing people because they're not doing what they should be doing. Here here he begins to address the Thessalonians because he wants to keep doing. And so you see that encouragement at the beginning, but then to notice how at the end he does come back and, and reiterate that same idea, keep doing this because there's a warning attached to it. So I appreciate that, that breakdown that you laid out there for us. An introduction, the primary teaching, and then a, a wrap-up here, all revolving around this topic, primarily it seems of, of chastity, the, um, you know, the, the sexual conduct, sexual, sexual ethic, the, the life of holiness and purity that belongs to the Christian. So then, Pastor Shorman, as we dig in here to the text, looking first at the introduction, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. There's plenty there to look at. And before we address what you know, what I was bringing out about this idea of doing things more and more, continuing in them, you've got a note here on, on this matter of pleasing God that we shouldn't just skip over that. What does it mean to please God as Paul speaks here, Pastor Sherman? Yeah, that's a that's that's a, a tricky one, right? Because we we think about in our lives, oh, I want to please somebody, and and we think, well, the way I'm going to please them is by uh, by doing something nice for them, right? Or, or doing something good for them. You know, like if I want to please my wife, I'm going to uh, try to bring her flowers from time to time, right? Or something like that. Uh, likewise, we'll, we'll hear please God and. Oftentimes we think, oh, what what can I do? Now, uh, we I don't want to discourage that because that's actually a good way to think about it. Uh, but it, it's not the, the danger is we can go down the road of thinking to pleasing God as uh, entirely reliant on 
on myself, mm. right? And uh, that's not what Paul's teaching here. Remember where this falls in the letter, it's, it's, it's towards the end. Um, like many of Paul's letters, he, he often, or he, he at the end of his letters goes into this instruction. And so he, he's already um, talked about uh, the, the gospel. He's already made sure that we, uh, his hearers understand, and, and we then also understand that uh, our, our God's pleasure with us is, is really not on account of us. It's, I mean, not, not on account of, of me in terms of what I do, but it's really on account of, of who I am before God, which is, uh, you know, in Christ. So I have Christ's righteousness. I have Christ's blood having, having washed, washed away my sins. I have, of the, I have the Holy Spirit, uh, God, the Holy Spirit, who has, um, uh, who has, has worked faith in me and, uh, has, um, is, is c- continually w- working faith in me and and uh, and, and making me uh, uh, holy and, and pleasing to God is, is working out this within me, so or through me. Hmm. So th- that is primary, and Paul's thought in, in the scriptures uh, teaching that that our, our God's pleasure with us is first and foremost because of Christ, who who perfectly kept the will of God. And then also by, by bearing our sin, dying our death, uh, you know, rising to life, and, and us being baptized into him has given us that righteousness. Mm-hmm. But, so I, I think, oh, go ahead. Keep going. Keep going. I'm not going to interrupt. Yeah, yeah, keep but, going. But the big, the big, the big but here is, is that, however, as, as Christians, right, as baptized children of God, there is a calling to us then to order our lives or to to make the effort to order our lives uh, as children would to, to please their father, right? And, and that's kind of what Paul's getting at here, um, that uh, um, the teaching, right, that we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us, that is what they've taught, maybe even um, given as an example by living their lives, by Paul living his life as an example for the Thessalonians and for all those he's taught, as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Um, so the, 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 the conduct of our lives, of Paul's life, of the Thessalonians' lives, of our lives today, uh, as Christians, as we say, what does God want me to do? Yes, Lord, help me to do it. This is pleasing to God because it's good works flowing from faith, and and that's that's what uh, that's what Paul's meaning here uh, in this admittedly very kind of almost shorthand, very concise statement of just to please God. Right. So we want to understand this in the context of the letter, and the way that you laid that out is is just perfect. And one of the things that does continue to come through here in this first part of chapter four that that I've really just come to a new appreciation of as we've gone through First Thessalonians is how God is at work among them. And that's really been a theme of Paul's first three chapters, that everything that's happened among the Thessalonians so far has been the work of God through his word. We've seen how that's come up time and time again, that what Paul has been preaching there, that was not the word of man that was the word of God, and that word of God has been effective. And so that this appeal now that Paul makes here, that we ask and urge you to, to please God, it's, it's in that context. And so it, it's not like they're pleasing God by their actions and, and that alone. They are pleasing to God because of what Christ Jesus has done for them. Now, live as a part of the family. The, the explanation to the first petition of the Lord's Prayer comes to mind, where, where we, we pray, hallowed be thy name, and we ask that, that God's word would be taught in its truth and purity, and that we as the children of God would lead holy lives according to it. And, and it seems yeah. that, that Paul's got that in mind here as well. Yeah. So, yeah, so Pastor, Pastor Sherman, then just in that introduction to, and, and you don't have to spend a, a ton of time on this, but it, it just strikes me that, that Paul is going now to write to them about something that they're already doing so that they would continue to do it and even do it more and more. And, and maybe, maybe this is just my, my American pragmatism coming through, 
but but it sure seems. I mean, why why is Paul interested in telling them about something that they're already doing? Why why this sort of encouragement? Do you think? Yeah, that's. I mean, it's a great question, and it's one. I don't know. I mean, personally, I always kind of struggle with this because I think, oh, I already, I already know this, or I already do this. So why, why do I have to be reminded of it? Um, you know, like uh, I, I, uh, I don't know. I go to the dentist and I brush my teeth. I brush my teeth, right? So why do they always remind me? Hey, remember when you brush, do it this way, right? Oh, I know that, but it's it's because uh, uh, it's it's good to. Well, I mean, it's good because maybe I'm not doing it right, and they don't know. But also, although they probably do know, uh, but but also because uh, they they're they're wanting to encourage me to keep on doing it. Right? It's good for me, <laughs> and um, and it's uh, it's excellent uh, if it, if it's good for me and I'm doing it. Well, they want to help me see that you're doing it. Keep on doing it because it's good for you, and uh, please don't stop. Uh, likewise, likewise here, um, you know. Uh, Paul, now that, that's brushing teeth. That's that's a whole other matter. But Paul is dealing with matters of of sin, right? So Paul is seeing these these dear Christians who who are hearing the word and 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 living their lives according to it and and, and striving to to try to to live uh, to be to be holy before God and before their neighbors in in uh, in the ways that God would want them to be. But but sin uh, elsewhere in Scripture, right? We, the, the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking those whom he may devour. Uh, uh, take heed, uh, those who stand, take heed, lest you fall. Uh, sin is always there, and our, our you know our sinful nature, even though we are baptized into Christ, and the, and the new man is is living every day before God in, in righteousness and purity. Nevertheless, the the old man. That is our sin, our flesh, is is always there still, um, and and wanting to rebel, wanting to to live for it, you know ourselves. Old man wants to live for himself and not for God, and so we need that both warning but also encouragement, and it's kind of two sides of the same coin to to help us, um, right? The Holy Spirit wor- works in us. Uh, Works works in us so that our flesh would, our new man would put to death our flesh, right? Would put to death the old man, and and the way that works through the gospel, right? So um, this is what the Lord uh, is doing for us, and uh, uh, this is what excuse me, this is what Paul is doing for us by encouraging us in in this way, so or encouraging them in this way and us as we hear it. So it's uh, that that's I think what's going on. Encouragement is so important. Um, it's kind of like you're doing a good job. Keep at it. You know that that actually is uh, helpful in the world and in just general life, but also in Christ uh, that we we hear that. Keep, keep it up. You're doing this is this is good. This is right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a, a great a great. I like the example of the dentist, by the way, because I think that's a, just a, a good example to to get at what Paul's getting at here. That that keep on doing what you're doing. It's good for you, and and as as people today, then, and I think this applies to to pastors and hearers as well. Pastors, if the if the text is there and it has something there that you think your people are doing a great job at, it's okay to to encourage them in it and to to yeah. preach that to them. And, and hearers, if you think it's something you've already learned and you're doing pretty well, hear it again. It, it's good to, to keep hearing these things and to be encouraged in them and not to move beyond. And, and if it's true for matters of, of the law, matters of our behavior, as, as Paul will get at here, then how much more true is it also of, of the gospel, that we need to constantly constantly be reminded of the good news of what Christ has done for us. So I, I, I just Absolutely. think it's a good thing to, to bring out. Pastor Sherman, any any more there on the introduction of this text, verses 1 and 2, before we start digging in more to the, the body of what Paul's getting at in terms of chastity? No, I, but may I just interject one more thing on sure. this point that we were just making, and that is that, you know, I think sometimes we... Uh, I mean, we, 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 we recognize our sin, right? Uh, I think we, when, we, when we really listen to the Word of God and we, we, we hear sin, we hear about our sin, we know our sin, 
I think sometimes we're a little maybe afraid or hesitant to think about or, or, or hear or want to say, I'm doing a good job. And I mean, that's good. We don't want to start thinking of ourselves as, as uh, you know, self-sufficient. But it's okay also for pastors, for, for parents, right, for, for any Christian to, to observe in a, a brother or sister in Christ or a parishioner or, or whomever uh, a good work and encourage that. It's okay to say, hey, you're, you're doing a good job at this. Keep it up. Uh, it, it's, it doesn't all have to be, hey, stop your sinning, right? It, it is good for us to encourage one another, and we don't have to be ashamed of that and, and, or, or to be ashamed of, of someone saying you're doing a good job. To God be the glory, of course, but, but that's, I mean, to God be the glory, he, we're, we're doing a good job, right? So I just want to interject that uh, just as an encouragement, I suppose, to, to everyone, that uh, as, we're, as you see good works being done, in, encourage one another in this, and don't, and don't be embarrassed to receive that encouragement or that, that acknowledgement. Right, because we're, as Paul has been doing all along here in this letter, he's, he's recognizing what God has done among the Thessalonians. These are yeah. fruit that the Lord has produced through his word. And so it, it is giving God the glory and to recognize that God's word has been effective as he promised it would be is, it's not a bad thing. Care must be taken, as, as you've said, but, but to acknowledge what God has done through his word in the lives of his people that that is to give God glory, and I think Paul provides a good example of that to us here in in this letter. So yeah. that that takes us then into the the body of the instruction that Paul's going to give, beginning there in verse three, and, and Paul says, "This is the will of God, your sanctification." We could we could probably spend a long time on just that word alone, sanctification, and, and he brings up the matter of sexual immorality. That's, that's the word that he uses. The matter we've been calling it positively chastity is what he wants to talk about. Pastor Sherman, we have four minutes on this side of the break here. Or so sure. get us started. I mean, into this talk of sanctification, sexual immorality of all things to bring out when it comes to the matter of sanctification and holiness, he, he starts with sexual immorality. Why is that such a threat to sanctification? Yes. Um, let me back up for a moment and sure. just make make it clear here that yeah, Paul's bringing up this this specific uh, issue, although it's not quite as narrow as we might think of it as. But uh, that the reason he's bringing it up is in the broader context how he starts this section. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that God wants you, Thessalonians or Christians who are hearing this word of God. God wants you to be holy, right? I mean, that's, that's the point of this instruction. Um, now, sexual immorality. Uh, why this? Um, well, uh, I suppose in part, uh, it's, it's our bodies. It's, it's the thing which uh, you know, we see over and over again in, in Paul's letters, the kind of a, an ongoing uh, struggle of, of people, uh, no matter who they are, uh, Gentiles or Jews, really, but, but in, of course, Paul's mostly speaking to Gentiles, but um, an ongoing struggle for those, uh, for Gentiles uh, um, in their daily lives. Um, probably, uh, and this is, you know, we, we run into this today, too, probably because um, it's... Uh, Sexual immorality is, is something which is just pervasive in their culture, uh, likewise in ours, maybe in different ways, but maybe in some very similar ways, that, that everyday uh, daily life can easily be full of uh, exposure to, temptation to sexual immorality. And so I, I think in the case of the Thessalonians, right, it's a it's a port town, right? So uh, there's great, uh, there's lots of sailors, uh, lots of uh, people coming in and out. So there's there's lots of pagan worship, uh, and uh, lots of therefore uh, exposure to and temptation to sexuality uh, in terms of pagan worship, um, as well as uh, you know maybe maybe uh, the other pagan worship too, but but uh, in some and particularly in the fertility. Culture, 
sexual immorality is a strong um, uh, part of that worship. And so it seems that the Thessalonians were, were exposed to that. It's a great temptation. Uh, there's probably more to it than that, but I, my, my hunch is that that's a major driver to Paul's bringing this up. Mm, that that's a good that gives us a good start into the topic. I think that this is something that all people are going to struggle with, particularly for the Thessalonians. It's going to be a matter that they're going to be surrounded with in their just the fact that it's a port city, the pagan worship that's going on around them, and then too that this is a a matter of a sin that happens against the body. And I think that's probably yeah. a topic that we're going to come back to more as we dig further into this main section of the First Thessalonians four verses one through eight. We'll do that on the other side of the break, though. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFU. We're going to take that break right now, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Monday, December 9th. We're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, with Pastor Michael Shurman of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Sherman, Illinois. Pastor Shurman, prior to the break, we'd begun this discussion that Paul brings up in verses 3 and following concerning the matter of sanctification, the holiness which God gives and now starts to manifest itself in our lives. And particularly the matter of sexual immorality is the first thing that he brings up here. And, and so as we, we think about that term, sexual immorality, it's a, it's a very broad term. And actually, before we, before we dig into that, it, the other thing that just strikes me here, that, that when Paul starts talking about sanctification, this matter of the holy lives of Christians, and the very first thing he talks about is sexual immorality, it just strikes me that that this is one of Paul's earliest letters, if not his earliest letter. And so the fact that that he makes this connection from an early point on in his ministry, to me, is very telling for how this will show up in his other epistles, too. Uh, the passage that comes to my mind when it comes to sexual immorality is 1 Corinthians 6, where he connects these sins to sins against the body. But it's just, it's just interesting for me to see how he brings it out here in his one of his earliest or his very first letter. It's just, it's just very telling to see how prominent that is for Paul already at this point in his ministry. Having said all that, and feel free to respond if you want, but having said all that, what should we think? Of? I mean, when Paul brings up the term sexual immorality, what's he talking about? Yeah, he's, it's, it's, I mean, of course, at its heart is a, a misuse, right? A, a misuse of God's good gift of sexuality or, or chastity, maybe is another way to put it, because you can be chaste and yet using God's uh, gift of sexuality in a proper way, right? So a, a husband and a wife um, using God's gift of, of sex properly, right, in, in co- according to his will, uh, are still living chaste lives, right? And uh, so some, some translations, I think, translate this, uh, that is, translate the word that we get as sexual immorality, in, at least in the English Standard Version in the ESV, they'll translate that as, as, as chastity or unchastity in this case, right? Unchastity. Uh, I think King James Version maybe does it fornication um, or something like that, but uh, it's, it, it's, it's th- th- that's the point, right? It's to move it beyond just kind of this uh, thinking of just whether or not you're having sex with uh, your husband, your wife, and no one else, well, that's part of it. Um, but it's it's more than that. Uh, it's it's just using God's gift of sexuality in a in a proper way and uh, avoiding improper uses of that. Using our bodies in the way that God has uh, in, intends for us to use them in this way and not in others. Um, so 
you know, in, in modern context, I suppose, then you could throw all sorts of um, uh, all sorts of things into this kind of blanket term. So, of course, adultery, right, or or sexual intercourse outside of marriage, but also um, things like um, the the use of pornography, right, or um, uh, or even maybe you know even uh, dressing provocatively is not really the right word, but but dressing in a way which is intended to stir on lust, out you know you know what I mean. So so all, all these things can can fall under this this blanket term because it's really less having to do with the the, the sexual act and more to do with. Um, just uh, living a chaste and decent life, or in, or not doing so. Right. I, when it comes to matters of the, the sixth commandment, I always find it helpful to talk about it whenever possible in the positive terms. What's the good thing that God wants us to have? And in this case, the good thing that he wants us to have is chastity and marriage. And anything yeah. that would attack those things that would fall into the realm of sexual immorality. And when you start to list those things, those are the, that's the list that when you teach it to youth confirmation students, you just shudder to have to say some of those things. Right. But, but, as, but as, you've, as you pointed out, it also includes things that maybe common society doesn't shudder at as much. Some of the, the coarse joking that, that happens that, happens sometimes even in polite society that undermines that union of a husband and wife in marriage. Um, right. I mean, so, so it's, it's a very, it is a very broad term. And, and I've, at least in my, my practice, it's just, I found it very helpful when we, we think about first, what's the wonderful, wonderful gift that God wants us to have. And then when we look at everything that attacks that, that's what, what's falling into the realm of sexual immorality. And so it is a very broad term and, and one where, these are those, I think it's President Harrison has said that if, if the world knew our sixth commandment sins, all of us would, we'd never go outside. We would never leave our houses. These are the ones that, right. that make us just cower. And so Paul, Paul brings this up right here at the beginning. And as he starts then to dig into the issue in verse four, the ESV translates, each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. And, and if you're reading in the ESV along with us, you'll see that there's a footnote here that says maybe there's another way that the Greek can be translated here. The Greek very literally says how to possess his own vessel, which, which could be referring to the matter of taking a wife, having a spouse. Pastor Sherman, can you help us out with kind of what's going on there? Even if we don't sort of lay it out fully, what, what's going on there in some of the issues? What's Paul talking about? Yeah, that's, this is a, this is a, this is a challenging, uh, verse and not because we don't we don't get i mean we get the general gist of what he's he's saying it's just that because because it can be translated a couple different ways um uh it's 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 i guess it's hard to know exactly how specific paul is getting here um right uh, so some translations will translate it uh like how to take a wife for himself well that's that's getting pretty specific right it's referring to uh how uh, how a man would would uh, following God's good order for the world in which there are, you know, uh, most people, this is God's uh, will for them. To, uh, this is their calling uh, as as people is to, uh, according to the natural order of things, take a wife um, uh, or take a spouse, right? We, we might say nowadays, but a husband and a wife be, be married and, and therefore live out their lives according to God's order for for their sex, uh, for chastity, right? Um, it, could, it could be that specific. It could be a little bit broader, just uh, referring to, again, right, a warning uh, um, or an instruction for, for how to uh, war against or, or fight against or strive against the, those sins of unchastity, right, sexual immorality. Uh, both of them have to do with our body, right? And, and so either way, it, it doesn't really change the kind of general effect that, that Paul is trying to get across here, the, the, the general meaning. And that is that uh, part of living a chaste life, which is, of course, 
living a chaste life is not living an unchaste life. Uh, so living a chaste life is, is, to, is to seek to um, uh, control oneself. And uh, God has actually given us a, an outlet for that, um, for the sake of our for the sake of us in our in our weakness, maybe, but for the sake of us uh, as we struggle with uh, sexual sin, He's given us an outlet in in marriage, right? In taking a spouse, um, and then uh, you brought up First uh, Corinthians earlier. You know, obviously, there Paul talks about the, the the exception to that, which is the person who is who is given uh, that that special gift of, of not needing a a spouse, right, of not desiring that. But but um, most uh, most of us, that's not the case. And so uh, either way, uh, so long, make a long story short, what Paul is, is getting at here is, is uh, part of abstaining from sexual immorality is to um, is to control ourselves, right, uh, to, to, to use his word there, um, to to discipline our, ourselves and uh, specifically that gets to f- taking a spouse that we might uh, use uh, our, our sexuality in a, a good and God-pleasing way. It's, yeah, either either way you take it, and there is there's ambiguity as to how you would translate the Greek, how specific it should be. What is the word in there's the Greek word for vessel? There is that referring to a spouse, or is it referring to your own body? That's really the question. Either right. one, I, I think, can make sense in terms of the theology behind it, and that's that's what we've been trying to to bring out here. And I think both both are very applicable in terms of what Paul is talking about. It is it is interesting to me that. In our, in our marriage rite, in the Lutheran service book, it takes this verse in terms of marriage. In the, in the Lutheran service book, marriage rite, part of the pastor's opening address says, all persons who marry shall take a spouse in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, for God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. That's right here from 1 Thessalonians 4, taking this as a, a matter of referring to how one would, would engage in going into a marriage. So it's just, it's, it's, it's interesting to see that at the same time, we know that these verses also apply to those who are unmarried and, and the matter of chastity is an overarching thing that applies to married and unmarried people alike. The way that, that the purity of life that God has given you then manifests itself within your life. And so, so Paul continues not, not in, or excuse me, I'm in verse four, holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles, who do not know God. So, so there's the the opposite. This pagan world that they're that's surrounding them. Paul says your your life is is different than that. Uh, Pastor Sherman, as you look at these more more topics to to bring out of these this body of the instruction that Paul's got here in these middle verses. Yeah, um, you know, it, it's it's. I, I think we should see this right. This is all one. I mean, it's all it's all one sentence. Actually, it's all uh, so it's all. Uh, one one point Paul Paul is making here to or he's kind of building this argument, um, kind of uh, laying out, if you will, like a, maybe a bit of a sequence, uh, something like that, where um, he wants to ensure that we understand that uh, that the, the, the general abstaining from sexual immorality, that is uh, uh, being chaste, finds its. Um, normal or regular uh, control within within marriage. And we know this uh, from, I, I suppose, through, a, you know, behind a veil, through just kind of natural law, right, through the, though just the kind of the natural order of things. But we, we, we know this explicitly through the revelation that God has given us in his word. And that's what Paul's been teaching to them, etc. Um, so who doesn't have that? Well, well, the Gentiles, right? And when Paul says the Gentiles here, he's referring to, you know, those who don't, don't know and believe and hear the word of God. So, um, they, what do they do? Well, I mean, what's a, what's a mark of Gentile worship that the Thessalonians would would see? Well, you you know, you go to 
the fertility uh, temple, and uh, and there's um, you know uh, uh, unchaste uh, worship practices happening right there. And uh, uh, versus what what do we do when we we as Christians, those who who worship the true God, uh, want to you know receive the blessing of a a good crop, right? Well, we, we pray, right? We, we, we live our lives according to God's word and ask that he would provide for all that we need to support this body in life, that he would give us a good crop, right? We, we do things rightly according to his will. And, uh, and, and that's, that's what, that's what he's getting at here, right? That, that from the knowledge of God flows then a, a knowledge of what is right, but also a desire to do what is right. And, um, when we don't know God, so we forgive me. I'm going to pause myself there. That's that's the Thessalonians. But so so put ourselves today, and we see we see the same thing. This this applies just as much to us, right? When we when we know God, when we hear His word, yeah, yes, we're sinners, but we we hear His word and we say, ah, this is how God has ordered things. How 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 might I live a chaste life by by hearing His word by by According to his will, I mean, seeking a spouse, and according to his will, receiving one, and and living out my life in chastity with my husband, with my wife, um, and uh, and and not as those who who do not know God, and do not know His will, and do not know His good order for things. Um, and uh, it's it's a it's a it's a tremendous blessing and, and gift from God that we have His Word, which which tells us these things, which we would be. We are so confused otherwise. As Paul then continues into verse 6, he, he also says that this matter of sexual immorality is not just a sin against your own body, but then it also does sin against your brother. How does, how does that argument continue then into verse 6, Pastor Shurman? Sure, yeah. So it's interesting here, um, and this is another slightly ambiguous section, but um, it, it's, it, it can be taken as uh, don't... Uh, transgress or wrong your brother in, in this matter and uh, in that way that is in terms of sexual immorality. So this would, of course, right, when, once we go into the realm of unchastity, right, well, now we're, we're even spurring up lust uh, amongst ourselves, amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ, um, and, and, and all uh, from an, an unchaste life flow all sorts of, of things um, like adultery, like, um, you know, harming the conscience of our neighbor, all, all these things. And uh, uh, that I think that's that is what Paul's warning about here. It seems to me, based on based on the language that he uses, um, it could also be uh, here um, uh, a, a second thought by Paul um, regarding less about a sexual ethic and more about uh, a business ethic. I guess is the way to put it, uh, having to do with right conducting ourselves uh, in our lives in a way. Uh, not in a in a greedy way, which maybe is a little bit connected, right? Um, uh, that 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 the passion of lust is is a sort of greed in in one particular way, and and the the, the a greed is is a, a more of a, like a, a a passion or a lust for for money, and uh, the, you know when we are when we harm our neighbor in business, uh, that is. Uh, uh, that is a, a greed, a, a lustful action, um, oftentimes, right? Or that's that's what spurs it on. So e- either way, Paul is warning: hey, hey, don't, don't harm your neighbor uh, by your actions either, whether it's sexual immorality or whether it's by by greed or, or lust of a different kind. Right. The word. The words that are translated in the ESV in this matter aren't quite that specific in the Greek. It, it's possible it's just in the matter or in any matter. And so is this still talking about sexual immorality? I, I tend to think, along with you, Pastor Sherman, that that is Paul still continuing that topic. Or or it is possible that he could be speaking more broadly here as well and, and including things like business. But he, he grounds it all in. And this is just a, an interesting turn of phrase especially given some of the more recent movies that have been made, <laughs> the Lord is an avenger in all these things. What, what is, I mean, the Lord wasn't one of the characters in Marvel's Avengers, Patrick Sherman. No. <laughs> what, what is, what is, what does that mean that the Lord is an avenger? What, what should we get from that? Well, sure. Well, God, uh, of course, um, we, we see it in the Psalms, right? The Psalmist 
will constantly pray that the Lord would um, would uh, uphold justice, would would strike the enemies of His people, would those who do evil or are wicked or are wrong against God's people or who, who wrong others or who are unjust, that would they would be um, that they would receive justice themselves, right? And uh, that that's what Paul's saying here, right? That that's. Uh, and he's making this transition now, right, to to kind of from the, he started with encouragement, and then he gave the instruction, now he's transitioning to, and also as a reminder, remember there's a warning about this, brothers and sisters in Christ, and that is that God uh, says, uh, Paul says elsewhere, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, right, that, that against sin, God does have wrath, and if we say we, uh, if we keep on sinning, uh, we, we are, we are outside of Christ, we are Outside of the, the righteousness of Christ and the 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 I suppose protection from God's wrath that we have in Jesus, um, and 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 we put ourselves out there at risk, uh, awaiting the, the the punishment of God for sin, and and and. and uh, Paul goes on, right? The Lord's an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Uh, now, there's there's of course a end of all things sort of uh, vengeance and wrath of God, but there's also the you know the the the, the current punishment of God that the, the, the way that God uh, disciplines us and in our in our sin will even allow uh, will, will will punish us right if if we insist on on keeping on doing these things and uh, we don't want to push that too far in terms of uh, trying to you know, spell out, well, if you do this, then God will do this. Because he doesn't tell us that in his word, but he does warn us um, to not put him to the test. And we see example after example in the Old Testament of, of God uh, as, as people fall into manifest sin, that is ongoing sin of God, God punishing them. Because, because manifest sin and ongoing sin is ultimately unbelief. It's, 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 Re- uh, rejecting God's gift of, of grace in Christ, it's 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 rejecting the Holy Spirit and faith and living for yourself rather than for God. Perhaps the way we could see Paul's argument here in terms of the the matter of sexual morality is that when it when it comes to sexual morality, you first sin against yourself, you also sin against your brother, and then he he climaxes here by saying, and ultimately you're sinning against God, and, and yeah. remember who He is in terms of the warning as well as the encouragement that he's given. So maybe there's that sort of progression here that Paul's Paul's leading into. Pastor Sherman, we have just under under five minutes left here on the morning, and I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit more about the conclusion, verses 7 and 8, but also make sure we leave a little bit of time at least just to kind of wrap this text up. And, and you've got a question here about how do we understand this pericope in terms of justification. So give us just a, a little bit there on the on the conclusion of this text before we sort of look at at, look at it overall again. Absolutely. So the, the, Paul concludes with these words, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Uh, and as you, you said just a moment ago, uh, right, Paul's kind of building to this, that it's not just, you're not just disregarding I don't know, what we all think is good neighborly conduct. You're not even just disregarding me, Paul, you know, your pastor, your teacher, but you're actually disregarding God because um, all of this actually comes from God and kind of creates this, I suppose, a ranking, right? Um, uh, that God is above us all and what, what he says, um, uh, regardless of what we think about it, what well, he says goes. And so to, to say, well, I'm going to ignore what God says, even though I know it, even though I've been told it, even though I'm being encouraged in it, even though I'm being warned against what I'm doing and saying, this is bad, right? God, God says no to this. I'm going to disregard this. Well, that, that uh, is me. Uh, maybe here's an example, right? A pastor goes to a sinner and says, hey, this God, God doesn't want you to do this whatever you're doing. You're, you know, you're, you're living in sexual immorality. God doesn't want you to do this, right? He says no. He has, a better, he has a better thing for you, but he does say no. 
to what you're doing, and, you, and someone says, well, I don't, I don't really care what you say, Pastor. Well, Paul's saying, well, um, it's not me, Pastor, talking, it's, it's God. And you're, what you're telling me is, I don't care what you're saying, uh, God. And that's a bad place to be. So that's what Paul's kind of getting at here at the end. Um, and then he, he reminds them, but it's interesting how he, at the very last section here, he reminds them again who God is and what actually what God has done, right? Remember, you're just writing God who's given his Holy Spirit to you. So he, he, this is not a God's up in heaven wagging his finger, but he's actually giving us his Holy Spirit who we need, who, who helps us, who through us works holiness and is making us holy. So, so that's how he's wrapping up here. And uh, it's, a, it's a warning for sure. It's also a little bit of, again, a, a slight encouragement and reminder of, of God's uh, gift and blessing to us. With, with that segue then, Pastor Sherman, take this last minute and a half that we got here and, and wrap this text up for us and, and especially keep us focused then on the justification that's ours in Christ. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, you know, right, we can read this passage and, we, and it's, it's instruction. So we think, ah, God's just concerned with how I behave. And he is, <laughs> but uh, he's not just concerned with it, but he is concerned with it. But what he's especially concerned with is uh, that we... Uh, are saved uh, by his work. I mean, that's why he sent Jesus. And um, we can we can get confused by 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 focusing solely on God's calling to us in terms of how we ought to live, and we can lose sight of Jesus and how He has lived. I mean, he still lives, but how he lived the every, every John tittle of the law perfectly for us. I mean, G- Jesus was the, the the is the perfect example of chastity, right? Jesus is the perfect example of keeping the sixth commandment, and uh, he has done it. He's he's lived it. He 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 has died for our transgressions of that commandment, and now he he lives and and. Through the Word and through His, through God's Holy Spirit, uh, works in us faith in the promise that Christ's death and resurrection are sufficient for redeeming us from sin and bringing us out of death into everlasting life. Pastor Michael Sherman is the is the pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Sherman, Illinois, helping us this morning with First Thessalonians four verses one through eight. Pastor Sherman, thank you for your time today. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. Wonderful to be here. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.